Um, We're working our way through 52 names of God. And tonight I want us to look at El Olam. If you you know, as we go through this each week, you got your Hebrew on the top. You read from the right first, El, which is God. And Olam, which is translated as long time, future time, times to come, landing time, back, everlasting, and eternity. So El Olam is eternal God. And oftentimes in Hebrew, like a lot of other languages, it's written El Olam because God comes first. What they're talking about is God. And then they describe it. We would use that today. I don't know if I share with you like we would talk about the red car, but they would say car red. So that you understand what they're talking about and then they describe it. So they're talking about God and then the eternal God This word, uh, the word olam, which I said is long time or future time, everlasting, eternity. That all covers what God is. That one word is used some 400 times in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew text. Also used as eternal, everlasting, forever lasting, ancient. But the title El Olam for God, meaning everlasting God or eternal God, is used only four times in the scripture when you put them together. So the word Olam, meaning eternity or long time, is used a lot more than the title or the term El Olam for God. And I want us to to look in scripture tonight to see exactly where this was used at. If you have your Bibles open there, Genesis chapter 21. And verse 22, and if you would stand as I read tonight, beginning in verse 22, this is a covenant between uh, Abraham and Abimelech, beginning verse 22. Now it happened at that time that Abimelech and Pichol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. So now swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my offspring or with my posterity. But according to the loving kindness that I have shown you, you shall show me and the loving kindness and you shall show me the land which you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I swear it. But Abraham reproved Abimelech about the well of water which the servants of Abimelech had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor did I hear of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them cut a covenant. Then Abraham set seven lambs of the flock by themselves And Abimelech said to Abraham, What do these seven lambs mean which you have set by themselves? He said, You shall take these seven lambs from my hand so that it may be a witness to me that I dug this well. Therefore he called that place Beersheba because the two of them swore an oath. So they called a covenant at Beersheba and Abimelech and Pachal, the commander of his army, arose and returned to the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a teramisk tree at Beersheba, and there he called upon the name of Yahweh, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days. 
Father, Lord, I just pray that you would help us, Lord, tonight to understand. Father, as we look at two more of the names that you chose to put in Scripture, Father, that describe to us who you are, Father, paints a picture of who you are. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to understand that, Father, and be able to come to love you even more. Father God, I just pray everything in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. You see there in that verse 33, it said, And Abraham planted a terramus tree at Beersheba, and there he called upon the name of Yahweh, the everlasting God. A lot going on in this passage. There was some strife going on back and forth. And uh, Abraham is making a covenant. Abimelech has come out to him. He was over the Philistines. And they were in that territory. And he'd come out. And there had been wells dug. And, you know, wells are a source of water for them. They couldn't just go out and turn the faucet on and have the water come into their house. They had to have wells that they would dig, and they had to dig them by hand. They don't have all the machines we do today. And that was a life source for water for them. And there was a strife over whose well was whose. But here we see that Abraham is calling on Yahweh, the everlasting God. And I find it interesting that this teramus tree that he planted there, is one of the trees that dwell out in the desert land, but it requires a lot of water. A lot of times it will absorb all the water in the area. But how interesting that Abraham chose to plant this tree by this well at Beersheba, probably signifying that he's calling on the everlasting God, this well would be everlasting water. For them in that area. So we see here this everlasting God that's going to go on for a long time that he's calling upon. But I want you to notice there that in verse 32, so they cut a covenant at Beersheba. And if you remember there that he had those seven ewe lambs, I want us to, to look at another name here, this Beersheba. I think we have this up here. I didn't put it in the Hebrew for you. I'm going to give you all English tonight. And by the way, that's not beer. I know some of you are like, hey, beer. Yeah, there we go. No, that's Beersheba. But bear means well. This is, again, a, a name made of two different names. And it's Sheba, the S-H-E-B-A, is seven. You remember he had seven ewe lambs there that he gave. But this, we're going to see in a minute, this Sheba is also spelled with an I meaning oath. So you have here this well that he named, meaning that an oath was made. And in Hebrew, when you have two nouns that follow each other, then you put an of in there. So this would be well of seven or well of covenant found that very interesting there you see verses 21 excuse me 28 where he said he had the seven ewe lambs there and he brought them in the he gave them in this covenant for that but you know we, we see this name again over in Genesis 26 turn over just a couple of pages as we look at this Genesis 26 uh, verse 26 now here we have Abraham excuse me we have Abimelech coming out to make a covenant with Isaac, which was Abraham's son. Listen to how similar this sounds, verse 26. Now Abimelech came to him from Gerar with the advisor Ahuzath and Apichal, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to him, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? 
Then they said, We see plainly that Yahweh has been with you. So we said, Let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us cut a covenant with you, that you will not harm us, just as we have not touched you, and have not done to you nothing but good, and have sent you away in peace, for you are now the blessed of Yahweh. Let me pause right there. If you remember when Isaac came into the Philistine area, he had a beautiful wife, and he told them that that was his sister, and Abimelech took her to be his wife, not knowing that, but the Lord kept him from touching her, and in return from touching him. So now he's saying, I've not done you any harm. Let's pick up back there at verse 30. Then he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. And in the morning they arose early, and each swore to the other. Then Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. Now it happened on that day that Isaac's servants came in and told him about the well which they had dug, and said to him, We have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. And Esau was 40 years old, and he took a wife, Judith, the daughter of Bari, the Hittite, and also Bathmuth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they brought bitterness to Isaac and Rebekah. So there we see where he called this the Sheba, and here we've got the I, which is oath. So again, we have the well of oath or the place of oath, but all dealing with the everlasting God. You see, God is portraying himself. God is revealing himself in scripture to us as the everlasting God, which is great because he was a God that was before. Also pointing out in this everlasting God that he always has been. Nothing created God. That's hard for us to understand. At least it's hard for me to understand that something was always there, never created But that was God. And because he was never created, there's nothing that can ever end him. So he was before time. And he will be after time. He is everlasting. He is able to uphold as we talk today about his promises. He's an everlasting faithful God that's there. So for us today, we can know that the one who we put our faith in is capable of To do what he says. We don't have to worry tomorrow if we wake up, is God going to be there or not? Because he's an everlasting God. When we die and go to heaven, we don't have to worry because heaven will be there. Because we serve an everlasting God. We serve that God that has been before time of ancient. It's lasting. Has been forever. I want you to just pause and think about that a moment. That God that loves us is mighty enough that he was before time. He is now. And he will be forever. That's the one who we get to go before in prayer. One that understands us. Give you a minute. See if any of you might want to answer a question. What images come to your mind when you think of the eternal God or an everlasting God? Does that evoke any images in your mind? You don't have to play hide and go seek from him. He's there. 
I think it's hard for us, as I said earlier, really contemplate this idea of eternity and everlasting. God created us within time. We understand that, as it tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's what, a time to be born and a a time to die? You hear some preachers talk about that in the cemetery. You have a birth date, you have a dash, you have a death date. You know, we start and we have the life in the middle, we have an ending. And we can go to the microwave, we can pop that popcorn there and tell it two or three minutes and out comes popcorn. We go to work at a certain time, we get off, we wake up. Everything in our life revolves around this order of time. God structured time. God made time. Made the sun and the moon to regulate that time in our days. But because he's everlasting, we see that he's greater than time. He made it. I think the creator's greater than the created. Amen? He created us. He's greater than we are. He is greater than our minds. What does scripture tell us that, you know, mind can't even comprehend the ways of God. And part of this El Olam is that very thing that he is a God of ever and ever. What might the names eternal God and everlasting God imply about the nature of God's promises? You know, if one that is eternal can make a promise, that means that he'll be there through eternity fulfill it. We talked about promises a little bit this morning. It's one thing to make a promise and not do it. It's another thing to make a promise and not be around to even be able to fulfill it. But our God, this El Olam, as Abraham and Isaac had called on him, is one who will always be. So the promises that we have in God's word, the promises that are for us. And remember, I've told you that there are promises in the Bible that are not for us. But it tells us who God is. But there are promises in God's word that's for us. And those promises that God gave to us, he's going to be around long enough to complete them. He's going to be around long after we are. But then this God of eternity will one day take us into forever. And we will get to live with him and worship him in heaven forever and ever and all of eternity. What a mighty God we serve, an everlasting, eternal God. Amen. Next name I want us to look at tonight is one you've heard me say a lot lately, Yahweh, Yahweh. I think we've got that up there. Did I put that up on the screen? Now, I want you to look there. That's it up in the Greek, reading right to left is Yahweh. But if you notice, it's four letters, Y-H-V-H. Oftentimes we say in English, the V is a W. That's why you hear it as Yahweh. It could be Yahweh. But this is also known as the Tetragrammaton. It's known as the four-letter word. For the name of God. This name Yahweh is used some 6,800 times in the Old Testament. And you will find, I found this very interesting. You will find Yahweh in every Old Testament book except for Esther, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Every other book in the Old Testament will at least one time mention 
this tetragrammaton name, this Yahweh for God. It's a sacred name. It's a personal name more than a title. It is a personal name of the God to the Israelites. And do you know back in the day, this name was so revered that the only person who would ever even speak the name Yahweh would be the priest in the temple in Jerusalem only. And since AD 70, when the temple was destructed, this name Yahweh has never been pronounced across the lips of the Hebrew people. They revered this name as a personal name of God so much. Now you'll see in your Bibles, most of your Bibles, you'll see the word Lord, L-O-R-D in small letters. Do I have that for you? I don't remember if I made that one or not. You'll have Lord, L-O-R-D in small letters, which is Adonai. I think we spoke about that last week or be getting ready to. But often you will see in the Old Testament, Lord with all capitals, L-O-R-D. When you see Lord, that is the word Yahweh. That's how the English people chose to translate it. Coming down from the Hebrew language, they wouldn't speak it. So our translators uh, in times past did not even put the name Yahweh in there. They would put Lord in all capitals. And this name Yahweh is the name for God that is most closely linked to his redeeming acts. They so revered God for what he had done in redeeming them. That they wouldn't even use the name. When we pray to God, we need to remember that he is the God who draws near to save us from our bondage to sin, just as he saved the people from the bondage in Egypt. Let's look at Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 verse 14 You remember, get you caught up on the story because we're just going to look at a few of the verse here. Moses has left Egypt. He's killed the slaves. He's been out tending uh, sheep. He's out there on the mountain walking around and what does he see but a bush on fire. But something amazing caught his eye because his bush on fire didn't burn up. And he walks over and it's God. God tells him, what, remove your sandals. You're on holy ground. And God begins to speak to him and basically tell him, I've chosen you to be my mouthpiece. I want you to go and to speak for me. And you're going to free the people. And Abraham, or excuse me, Moses says, well, if you're going to send me and I'm going to go tell them that you're going to free them, who are you? And here's what he says. Let's look there at verse 14. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. So we see here that he is Who he is. I am who I am. He's the beginning, the middle, and the end. He is always. He's the everlasting God. But Yahweh, Yahweh is sending him to go to them. The covenant God. 
is going to go with them. You see, God had made a covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we see that covenant reiterated through each of them that through that line, God has chosen them to use to be blessed to all people. So the covenant, God, I made this covenant with them that I am going to fulfill. And part of that fulfillment, Moses, is you going. My people are in bondage. They've been there long enough. They finally got their thick heads cleaned up and wrapped around the idea that they had sinned and they're crying out to me for help. And I am a covenant God and I will uphold my covenant. I will not let them die there. I'm not going to let them be there in misery. Moses, you're going to go. And you're going to tell them that I am who I am sent you. Yahweh sent you to come to free them. And boy, how they needed to hear that because what happened when Moses went before Pharaoh. And he said, Pharaoh, my God says you're going to let the people go. And Pharaoh said, oh no, I'm not. We just need to go and worship. Well, if you've got time to gripe and you've got time to complain, he said, I'm going to make your workload harder. Now, can you imagine if you were in bondage? Let's just take ourselves out of our luxurious world we live in today, move ourselves back then, be in bondage in Egypt, be God's chosen people who are now in slavery, being beaten, and all of a sudden one comes and says they're going to set you free. You have a party. Yay! But it doesn't happen. It gets worse. But they've already heard that the covenant God has sent them and it's going to happen. And they go through difficulty and eventually Moses goes before Pharaoh through all those plagues. You know, we've we've shared this with you before. All those plagues that they represented, you know, that wasn't just by happen chance. It wasn't just random acts. God said, well, let let me do this. Let me make it dark. Let me send blood. Let me take the first point. God was defeating... All of the gods of the Egyptians. Those plagues represented the different gods of the Egyptians. And God is showing that I'm greater than they are. And I am the one who is here and I'm going to rescue you. Now oftentimes we we say Yahweh, we hear that. How many of you have heard the name Jehovah? Does that maybe ring a little bit better bell? Let me move up here. Now, up, go back. You're right. I'm getting there. Yahweh, the four letters of that we saw a while ago, when the Hebrew language was written, uh, this is something that's taken me a while to grasp my head around, but my seminary time is paying off a little bit. When Hebrew was originally written, it's what's called a consonant language. There are no vowels. It's all just consonants. Well, us people today don't often use that. I mean, we can. We can read some words that we know and have some letters missing and we can fill in the gaps. But if you don't know the language, you don't know what the word is. So they so long ago feared and revered God's word that they wanted to add some vowels in there. But they didn't want to change the words and the letters that they believe God inspired them to write. So whereas you have up on the top the four consonants, they went in and added pointers, dots and dashes above and below the letters to meet the vowels. So when they did that, you would get Y-A-H-W-E-H. 
you would have the first little, looks like apostrophe on the end. And then underneath that, you would have a line to represent the A. And then you have the H and the, looks kind of like a V with a flat bottom there is your W. And there would be a little dot under it and that. So they went in and they added these trying to make it easier for people. So this would actually be pronounced Yahweh here. But the scholars changed the Latin people don't have a Y. So they changed the Y to a J. And that's where we get Jehovah. Instead of Yehovah, we get Jehovah. The Lord is a title more than a name. You know, we can miss the true meaning in just seeing Yahweh when we don't understand the meaning of I am who I am. This everlasting God is a self-existing God. I talked about that before. He was not created. He always been. He always will be. And he is always present with his people. He's not absent. I forget the name of the people off the top of my head who believe that God is the creator of the world. God made the world. God spun it on its axis as to be. He got it in motion, set it into motion. Then he just stepped away. He's got nothing else to do with it. There are some who truly believe that. But when you look at scripture that God reveals himself as a self-existent God, an everlasting God, he's still here. He is with his people. He's not absent. How much that can help us in the day-to-day, in the life that we live. I mean, if I didn't understand that church, how easy would it be to look at the world today and say, God's not even here. He's answer. Look at all that's going on. But the truth of the matter, we must go back to here. And he says that I am who I am. I'm self-existent. I am here. I created it. I made it. I put it in order. I am with my people. He's telling the Israelite people, he said, I'm a covenant God. I made a covenant and I'll uphold to it. So much different from today. How many people today will sign a contract Saying, I'll pay for something. Give me that credit card. And I'll sign that I'll pay for it. Every time I swipe it, I agree to pay for it. Run it up. And then they want to go and file bankruptcy and not pay for anything. I understand it happens. But it happens more times than it should. There are people who think that they don't have to follow through with their covenants. You know, we make covenants. Let's look at it in the sense of a marriage. A marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman. And today, so many people don't hold that covenant. I remember when I was younger, I played the organ for a friend of mine who was getting married. And I kind of chuckled at the time that when it come to the part of the vows, you know, for better or for worse, they said for better or for better. You know, that marriage didn't last long. People come into it not thinking of what a covenant is, that it's a, a lifetime commitment. And God's covenant being a lifetime commitment since he never ends. He's an eternal God. And he's a covenant God. Means he's always there. He's going to follow through. He's going to fulfill it. They've done a study a while back looking at marriage and divorce inside and outside the church. And there's not a whole bunch of difference. But I heard somebody say this one one time. You know, how great it is the divorce rate has dropped. 
when actually we would probably all say, yeah, that's great. But I say I think the divorce rates drop because so many people are living together, not getting married, they're not getting divorced. Because they don't understand covenant. They go into it with what can I get out of it? What's in it for me? And when it doesn't satisfy me, then I'm done and I'm going to move on. But that's not who our God is. He is a covenant God who is the truth, who is everlasting, who will follow through with his covenants, his prominence. And you know, we have the Old Testament. I've told you this before, or we could call it the Old Covenant. We have the New Testament, the New Covenant. We think how great God made covenants with the Jewish people. God made a covenant with you and I because he is Yahweh. He made a covenant that if we will call on him as Lord and Savior, he will be our Lord and Savior and he will be everlasting and he'll take us to be with him. He'll allow us to live in heaven here on earth in the presence of him, how great that is. This Yahweh or Yahweh or Jehovah, you'll probably hear me refer to it back and forth throughout because the next names we're going to get are going to be using that in their name. Where we, We've been looking at like El Olam. We're fixing to get into a bunch that would be uh, Yahweh or Jehovah, whatever. And this is God's covenant name. It's associated with his saving acts in Exodus. And buddy, what a covenant God did with us in the New Testament. The new covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ. He saved us. And to the Hebrews, it evokes images of God's saving power in the lives of his people. May we take it, church. And when we hear the word Lord in all capitals or Jehovah or Yahweh, may it invoke in us when we're reading about it. That he is a God with saving power. And that he's made a covenant with the people that he would save them. And if you've called on him, he has made that covenant. I believe it's a one-sided covenant. Just like he did with those in the the scripture when the, the pot passed through. Usually a covenant. They talk about cutting a covenant. They'd cut an animal and split it. And both people would walk through it signifying their part in the covenant. Well, when God made the covenant, God's the only one who walked through. When Jesus died on the cross, he was thankfully the only one that had to die on the cross because he paid our price. We didn't have to hang and we don't have to be penalized for that today because we have a covenant God. Amen. So as you are in the presence of God and you think about him, think that number one, you have an everlasting God. Number two, you have a God that's a covenant. So here's what we've covered so far. We had Elohim. First one was God mighty creator. The second one, El Roy, God who sees me. Number three, El Shaddai, God Almighty. Number four, El Olam, eternal God. And number five, Yahweh, Lord. A name more than a title. God said, this is my name because 